Well, when I learned that I would be preaching on practical grace, my first thought was, really, me? Because if you know me at all, you may know that by nature I am not a practical person. I choose to live in a Victorian house that is full of architectural beauty and elegance, but it's not particularly practical. It doesn't have a garage, and there is a lot of unnecessary paint that needs a trim that needs painting. My pastimes aren't practical either. I am more likely to read a novel than I am a news magazine, and you may see me uh, taking part in a production down at the Community Theater League, but you probably won't find me planting a vegetable garden or refinishing furniture. You see, I'm just not that practical. And then when I saw the scripture that went with this topic of practical grace, at first I was puzzled. 1 Corinthians 13 is one of the most poetic passages in all of Scripture. We don't think of poetry as practical, do we? 1 Corinthians 13 is even uh, familiar to a lot of people who don't know the Bible because 1 Corinthians is all about love in chapter 13, and we often hear that passage read when we go to weddings. Weddings aren't very practical, as we all know. Weddings are full of romance and flowers and fancy clothes. But you know, our God is so very wise. God inspired the Apostle Paul to write this chapter and to have it be both compellingly beautiful and thoroughly practical. So this passage is well-suited to resonate with all of us. Whether we are more the ideas and arts kind of people, or whether we're more the feet on the ground, planted firmly on earth sorts of folks. Once drawn to this scripture, then we can learn from all sides of it. 1 Corinthians 13 has heavenly elements like angels and mysteries, but it also betrays a kind of roll-up-your-sleeves practical kind of love, that act of love, that practical love that leads to unity in Christ. It's a dig-in-and-work kind of love that binds people together. Often, it's the kind of work that we'd really rather not face. But when you cooperate and you do it as a team or as a church, the work of love isn't nearly as tiresome. You can ask anybody who's been part of Transform, and they'll tell you that. Here's an example from my own family. Weeding is not my favorite thing to do, and I imagine that it is not your favorite thing either, but it's something that must be done. When our kids were young, my husband and I would call for a family work day. We would have, a, we'd sing we, family work day, family work day, and we'd, we'd tell the kids that it was time to pull weeds, and they would gripe, and they would moan in protest. We just had to insist that they would join us for an hour or two of pulling weeds. But then you know what happened when we started? There would be surprise, surprise, camaraderie and joking around. They would be throwing weeds at one another and chasing each other. Sometimes we'd even break out into singing. It would be this kind of whistle-while-you-work fellowship event 
just changing up from the, the groaning that they started with. Sometimes we'd even have literal whistling because one of our kids is a really great whistler. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13, and then you can back up to the last verse of chapter 12 that introduces chapter 13. The last verse of chapter 12 says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Well, we might ask more excellent than what? In chapter 12, Paul has been teaching the Corinthian church about spiritual gifts and the importance of those gifts for the unity of the church, the body of Christ. Paul assures us that the gifts are excellent, but that love is more excellent. If you look forward then to chapter 14, you see Paul talking about spiritual gifts again. Chapter 14, verse 1 says, pursue love and strive for the spiritual gifts. Love is the instrument that makes the exercise of the gifts of prophecy, faith, giving, and all the rest, all those other gifts possible. Love is the connector of gifts from God. It connects the recipients of those gifts back to God. So Paul was smart to place the love chapter, chapter 13, smack in the middle of the two chapters on spiritual gifts. It's a way Paul is showing that love is practical by linking it in with those lists of spiritual gifts. Because love is the anchor for Christian living, for practical love that enables us to live out Jesus' great commandment to love God and to love others. The first people who heard this practical teaching about love was the Corinthian church that received this letter from Paul. The church uh, in Corinth really needed to learn about living out our love for God and love for neighbor because the church was not doing well at this. It was made up of a diverse group of Christians that really was having a very hard time getting along together. They were young and old, rich and poor, men and women. There were married folks, widowed, unmarried. There were Christian Jews, there were Christian Gentiles, and they needed to learn to embrace all those differences in love so they could be a church that would be transformed in Jesus Christ. They needed this love chapter. We all do. 1 Corinthians 13 begins, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. We know what the tongues of men sound like. What do you imagine the tongues of angels sound like? Wouldn't that just be the most resplendent sound you've ever heard to hear angels? When we want to praise the voice of a singer, we will say, she sings like an angel. Whereas a clanging cymbal could get annoying very quickly. In Paul's day in Corinth, clanging cymbals were part of the worship of Sibele, a heathen cult that had wild, drunken, and disorderly worship practices. So Paul is saying that without love, the gift of tongues would sound like the noise and clatter of heathen worship. 
Even if we have the gift of prophecy, that wonderful ability to speak forth the truths of Scripture, if we do not proclaim God's Word with love, look what Paul says. He says that if I don't do that with love, I am nothing. Nothing. There's nothing more worthless than nothing. If I have the gifts of prophecy, knowledge, and even mountain-moving faith, but do not have love, I am nothing. Being a clangy, noisy symbol is sounding pretty good next to being nothing. In verse 3, then, we are asked to check our motives. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Do we give to the poor so others will think we're generous? So that we can boast and brag and say, look at me, see how sacrificial I am in my giving? Well, apparently some people in Corinth were giving for the wrong reasons. Love for God and love for others must be the motive. Real love acts rightly. In the Greek, that act of love is clear in verses 4 through 8, where love is a sub subject of 16 verbs in a row. In English, we read that love is kind and love is patient, but the Greek is more active in its verbs. In the Greek, love shows patience and love acts with kindness. Act of love patiently walks the floor with a colicky, cranky baby for hours on end, even though you must get up early in the morning for work. Love kindly answers the same question over and over again, asked by a relative with Alzheimer's, even though you've heard that again, and love does not answer harshly. We'll be hearing more about kindness as a form of embodied grace next week in our worship. Now, if you'll look with me again at verses 4 through 6, we see a lot of things that love does not do. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angry. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. If we take that and put that all into one idea, we might say, that love does not hurt people. Put in the positive, we might simply say, love loves people because love embodies God's gift of grace. How do we love? How do we put love into practical action? How do we embody grace through love? Let me suggest a start for us by telling you a true story. It is the story of a small French village called Le Chambon. Most of the people who live in Le Chambon are Protestant Christians descended from the French Huguenots. The Huguenots were Protestants who were persecuted in the 16th and 17th centuries, and most of them were either killed or ended up fleeing France because of that persecution for their faith. But there are small pockets of their descendants still alive and living in France. During World War II, the town of Le Chambon that holds some of those descendants became a refuge for 5,000 people who were hiding from the Nazis.
almost the entire population of the town of only 5,000 people took part in caring for the Jewish refugees. Most of the 5,000 refugees were Jewish children. The Christians of Le Chambon hid those children in their homes and offered them love. The Christians of Le Chambon remembered that their own ancestors had been persecuted for their faith. That mattered to them. These people were alive because God's grace had delivered their ancestors from persecution. They found it natural to offer God's grace to others who were being persecuted. Here's a quote from a woman who was one of the Jewish child refugees saved by the people of Le Chambon. Nobody asked who was Jewish and who was not. Nobody asked where you were from. Nobody asked who your father was or if you could pay. They just accepted each of us, taking us in with warmth, sheltering children, often without their parents, children who cried from fright in the night because of nightmares. Years later, when the people of Le Chambon were interviewed and, and were asked why they took the risks that they did, they said things like, for us, they were the people of God. And Jesus said to love God and to love your neighbor. One said, I didn't want to be ashamed of myself. Another said, they didn't want to be like the priest in the story of the Good Samaritan when the priest just passed by on the other side of the street when he saw that uh, man just bleeding and lying from injuries in the ditch. The villagers said that taking in the refugees happened naturally. It happened simply. And they really didn't understand what all the fuss was about. They shrugged and simply said, these were people who needed to be helped. It was natural for them because they were Christians. They were living out the grace they had received through faith in Jesus Christ. On the screen, there's a picture of one of the pastors of Le Chambon, André Trocmé, with some of the refugee children. He's surrounded by them. You might imagine that the brave Christians of Le Chambon would have a brave pastor, and they did. In fact, he ended up getting arrested for his work there, uh, rescuing the refugees, but he did live. He made it. Trocmé said, these people came here for help and for shelter. I am their shepherd. A shepherd does not forsake his flock. Trocmé led the Christians of Le Chambon in practicing practical love and grace. He called the tools of practical love used by the Christians of Le Chambon the weapons of the Spirit. What are these weapons of the Spirit? Grace is a weapon of the Spirit. Love is a weapon of the Spirit. How do we become people who naturally practice love no matter the risk to ourselves? One clue is found in those reasons that we heard given by the people of Le Chambon. Did you hear how many of them quoted the Bible? One of the weapons of the Spirit is knowing and obeying the Bible, the Word of God. Nothing defines grace and love better than the Bible. One way we get to know the Bible, of course, is through regular worship 
where the Scripture is read and its truth is proclaimed. Another way is you may uh, you make use of the prayer calendar that comes at the beginning of each month, First Church Prayer Calendar, and it has not only something to pray for the day, but it also has a passage of Scripture that you can read every day of the year, a way to get to know Scripture. There are also many opportunities to study the Bible here at First Church. We need to get the Bible deep into our minds and hearts so we can live it. If you are not part of a Bible study, I encourage you to write on the back of your communication card that you're interested in a Bible study group or get in touch with Mitch Marcello, who oversees all of our groups for adults. You can see Aaron Russell if you're in college for a group and contact Josh Tobias if you're a youth. I believe another weapon of the Spirit is found in how the villagers could talk about the things that they did in just a relaxed, matter-of-fact kind of way. One said, when asked why she hid the children, I don't know. It was natural to us. We were used to it. They were used to practicing love and grace. They had formed habits of practicing love and grace. So another weapon of the Spirit is in learning to form habits of loving others. If you look with me at verse 7 of chapter 13, it reads, Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. If we want to be the kind of people who know how to protect others no matter what, we start small. We can start by protecting the homeless families of Family Promise by volunteering to stay overnight just one night at the North Campus so the children of Williamsport and their parents won't be out on the street. Family Promise is a ministry that First Church is involved in, and you can be too if you aren't yet. Another way we can protect others is by fighting human trafficking through prevention, education, through voting, and through supporting the homes and nonprofits that shall shelter the children and the women who are in danger. Locally, the YWCA provides assistance for women who have been trafficked. Still another way to protect children and families is by helping preborn children and their mothers. One of the ministries that First Church supports through our Second Mile Giving is called Expectations. Expectations helps expectant parents and their babies. We can give to another Second Mile ministry, our First Church Helping Hand. I'm grateful for Dave Marcello, who meets twice a week with people who need extra help for their groceries or for immediate needs for their family. Our Helping Hand Fund is a form of that protecting love in action. There are many, many opportunities to form the habit of protecting others. Doing acts of love and grace can be simple, but we must do them. The tragic effects of Charlottesville yesterday make that clear. Now look on the screen, if you will, at the picture of some of the children who were protected in Le Chambon. One of those children, Pierre Sauvage, grew up and made a documentary about Le Chambon, appropriately called Weapons of the Spirit. Here is a statement he made. The people of Le Chambon had to trust their neighbors, knowing that if just one person gave away the secret, 
the entire community could die. They had to trust their neighbors. Which brings us to the next part of verse 7. Love always trusts. How do we form the habit of being trustworthy? The kind of Christians you can count on. Here again, we need to form a habit that is one of the weapons of the Spirit. Of course, we need to be people who tell the truth. Can we also ask ourselves if we are short, falling short of being trustworthy in ways that show practical love? What small steps can we take to become people's, people that others can count on? Do we return emails and phone calls? If we say we will do something, do we follow through? My husband has volunteered for AYSO, the American Youth Soccer Organization, for many, many years. And one of the ways that he has served is as the field coordinator. Over the years, I have often helped him make phone calls to the people who have signed up to help paint the soccer fields to get the fields ready for their children to play soccer. And what we have found as we've made those phone calls is that it's pretty consistent. Only about one-third of the people who have signed their name to say they will help actually follow through. Now, let me ask you, are we Christians more trustworthy than that? Our records show perhaps not. I know we mean to be trustworthy. We want to trust others and to be trusted. Where are you and where am I making excuses to show practical love by being trustworthy? Verse 7 ends with love always hopes, love always perseveres, and going on to verse 8, love never fails. Love like this is perfect love. Where do we find the perfect love like this? Love that always hopes, always perseveres, and never fails. We find that love at the cross on Calvary. Jesus is the one who shows us how to live in love. How? By offering grace, by taking on the punishment he did not deserve so we might receive the forgiveness we did not earn. Jesus shows us how to practice love through grace. Jesus shows us how to live love through grace. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah wrote that was fulfilled when Jesus went to the cross to die for you and for me. Isaiah chapter 50, verses 6 and 7 read, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore have I set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. My friends, this is love with a capital L. Jesus set his face like a flint. Flint is hard and unyielding stone. Jesus did not give up, and he did not give in as he suffered on the way to the cross. He was determined to do what he had to do to save you and to save me from our sins. He was relentless in offering grace to show and offer his love to us. Can we, too, determine to love? 
when the Apostle Paul leads into 1 Corinthians 13 with the phrase, and I will show you a still more excellent way. The word for way in Greek, hodos, refers to an invitation to a journey, a journey of which the end is known only to God. God invites us in 1 Corinthians 13 to join Christ's journey of love. That journey of love leads to transformation inside and out. As we take steps along the journey of discipleship, we may start out taking small steps of love. That's okay. But our steps will become bigger, more confident, more joyful, more full of grace, and more and more loving as we walk along the journey of discipleship with Jesus Christ and with our fellow believers. One of the statements the Christians of Le Chambon made is, any community anywhere can do great things if given the opportunity. We have the opportunity. Let us live love through God's amazing grace. Amen.